On this episode of Healing from Within with Tony Valen, we have author and rabbi Wayne Dosick. He's here to talk about his book, Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People. Radical Loving is a call to a renewal and oneness of the world. Next on Healing from Within with Tony Valen. Hi, I'm Tony Valen. Welcome. Okay, so Rabbi Dosik, uh, what are the main ideas of, of the book? The main ideas of the book is center around the fact that our world is in big, big trouble right now. We are, I don't have to go through the litany, but you know, just to, to know the, about the, the, the sexism and the, the nationalism and the pain of terror and trauma and and um, violence in our streets and Islamophobia and anti-Semitism all tuned up and turned up by the rhetoric that came from the leadership and still in many ways came, comes from the leadership and the former leadership of, uh, of our country. And uh, we are in big trouble. We used to be a, what I used to call a, a, a backyard or a front porch community. I grew up in Chicago where we all sat on our front porches every night and listened to the ball game on our little transistor radios. Right. And even though there were many differences amongst us, uh, we felt as if we were fulfilling the American dream of E pluribus unum, one out of, out of many come one. Right. And now we have been inundated by all these special interests. What should be a melting pot has turned into a patchwork quilt of special interests and special needs and me, 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 and not me. I'm not the perpetrator, I'm not, not the victim. And um, we, are, we are really, really breaking apart and falling apart. And in so many ways, our democracy is, uh, is at a breaking point. And as well, uh, we have um, foreign enemies who are who are on the borders of other countries, Russia on the border of Ukraine, threatening to take over and we don't know what to do. And we can't even pass a Voting Rights Act so to know that every human being uh, in this country has the right to vote without being told that you can't uh, uh, get a bottle of water if you're standing in a long line to go to your vo polling place. So that's why I wrote this book. We need a massive uh, evolution and transformation of human consciousness and a return to oneness, knowing that there is one God, there is one people, there is one world. Right. Uh, so in, in, uh, when you think about writing this book and if people were to ask you, what would you tell them qualifies you to write this book about what's going on now? Well, I have been, I have been a rabbi and a um, social commentator for the last 50 years. Uh, I have uh, served pulpits and, um, and Jews throughout the country for these 50 years. 
I spent 17 years teaching Jewish studies at a Catholic university here. So as a university professor, I, um, I hold multiple degrees, not that that matters very much, but um, I also was a newspaper columnist for 18 years. I have a, a radio show much like yours here for the last uh, 13 or 14 years. Uh, I have counseled and, uh, and, and uh, guided hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, throughout the years. I've written 10 books on, um, on Judaism and on parenting and on business ethics and on evolving human consciousness. So I think that um, I, I wish to be modest, but not too modest. I think that a lifetime of this kind of background uh, makes me the, the right commentator for this kind of book of guidance, gentle guidance, but firm. This is uh, we're at the at the point now. I'm speaking with the urgency of a biblical prophet. Our time has come, and everything depends on how we respond in the next months and years. Right. Yeah. Well, in many places in the book, it seems like God is talking to us through you. Um, how can it be possible that you would know what God is saying and what He wants? God talks through every single one of us. You know, we. Um, we have this notion that when we pray, we talk to God and God listens. Mm -hmm. But God is not silent. God talks to us and we have to listen. You know, it's not just biblical prophets. Everybody, you go to synagogue, you go to church, you hear the lessons of the biblical prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all the other boys. And uh, we say, oh, well, that's for antiquity. No, not at all. God speaks through each and every one of us. It doesn't mean that we go on a, a soapbox and go out in the middle of the city and start uh, preaching uh, God's word. But the word prophet means to be a messenger, a messenger of God. So in our thoughts, in our from words, from visions, from daydreams, from night dreams, God speaks to each and every one of us and gives us a message. Sometimes it's only for our ourselves. Sometimes it's for our families. Sometimes it's for our community. Sometimes it's for our workplace. Sometimes it's for a larger audience. So I listen, listen, listen. Sometimes I probably get it wrong because you remember playing the game of telephone when you were a kid. You don't necessarily always get the right message. Right. But uh, God would never give us a message that would be harmful to me or to you or to anybody else. So when I get a message... I give it out. Wonderful. And when people uh, come to you and start asking about the book and, um, you know, some people are, are, I mean, I know that the whole thing is to bring people together as, as one, one people, but there are people that are very divided. And when they hear of a rabbi writing a book and I guess they immediately think that you're only talking for the Jewish people and why should they listen to you? And, and what do you, how do you tell that the message is for everyone? Well, every, uh, I don't say everyone, but, but uh, seven and a half of my 10 books uh, have been for everyone. So anybody who's been following my career and knows my name or has read any one of my books knows that I speak to a, um, to a wide world. Also, interestingly enough, in the beginning of this book, I wrote that I may, in some places in this book, be speaking out of my own personal interests. That is, that when I speak about a world of oneness, um, it somehow takes away in some ways from my Jewishness 
or my Catholicness or my Protestantism or my Hinduism or my Buddhism because it is one world. And, and what God says to us is, you are all my children. I love you all. I don't play favorites. Um, you've created different pathways, but each pathway is beautiful and each pathway is worthy. And uh, I don't care how you call me, says God, call me whatever you like. I don't care how you approach me because there's great beauty in your different approaches at, and what, because oneness does not need, mean sameness. I mean, some people come, some religions, even pathways come in quiet prayer and come say in joyous dancing and some, some in silence and some in, in great, uh, great song. It's all the same pathway. It's from God to God. And we all have, choose beautifully different ways but um, I come with a universal message just as teachers and preachers throughout history have come. No, um, no country, no faith community, no um, religion has the only truth. Wisdom is universal. Wisdom belongs to all of us. Continuing revelation belongs to all of us. Teachers come in all forms. So um, there was uh, Abraham and Moses, and there was Jesus, and there was Muhammad, and there was the Buddha, and there are teachers of every faith and every community. There was Dr. King, uh, whose birthday is coming up, and Mother Teresa, and Lech Walesa in Poland. Over and over again, Mandela in South Africa, Wisdom is wisdom. It belongs to everyone. Gotcha. And um, when it comes to people asking, you know, because, uh, of course, when it comes to differences, we can list a long list of our differences. But what would you really say are the or how would you tell people that we're more connected or, or the same than different? Uh, because a lot of people focus on the difference and not the, the connection with each other. God created us, every single one of us. God created us in the divine image, the spiritual image, of course, not a physical image. Right. And if I look into the mirror, I see not only my own face, but I see the face of God. Mm. And if I look into your face, I see the face of God. And when we see the face of God, there's only one possible response, and that is love. That is great love of one per of God to each one of us, each one of us back to God, and each one of us to each other. And so if I look at you and I see the face of God in you, even if you are a teenage clerk in a convenience store who can't make change for a dollar bill without using a computer, or a teller in a bank line who's spending so much time and taking up so much of my time, instead of being frustrated and seeing less of that human being, I see the face of God and I see this is a person who may be having a bad day or wasn't trained well or um, is angry uh, or his, you know, I, I always love it when, when I walk into, let's say, a bank and they say to, to me, hey, how's your day today? And I say to them, don't ask that question because my day's been pretty good. But two, pe two people behind me in this line, the guy's dog just died. Don't ask him that question. It's not a good question. Right. So um, radical loving 
Radical loving is, is understanding that the life of another, you, Tony, is as precious to me as my own because you and I are both children of the same God. And God doesn't play favorites. God says, call me whatever you want. You want to call me daddy? You want to call me papa? You want to call me mommy? You want to call me mama? Same, same family, just different ways the kids address the parent. Uh, you want to approach me in one way or another? That's great. Uh, I, I love you. I hope you love me. And I hope you will learn to love each other. Right. How can you, um, like, I mean, because I'm telling you, it's uh, what you just said is, is so true and so wonderful. But when people get under your skin, it's so difficult to do exactly what you just did. Do you have any any words of wisdom that you give us to where we can realize exactly what you just said? Someone is a beautiful, wonderful person. They're just having a bad day. And um, how can you appreciate someone that is abusing you, you know, whether it be verbally or about physical, you know, how do you get into that energy? Well, I do realize I'm not naive. Uh, I do realize that there are some places in this world that are so dark that no matter how hard we try to bring the light, the darkness is just going to have to peter out by itself. And I do understand that there are people who are so evil in this world that no matter how much we love, they are going to have to uh, leave us and, and peter out by themselves. I, I, I don't have the, the solution for making the light of, life of Adolf Hitler as precious to me as my own. Mm, yeah. Uh, and yet, and yet, um, when we understand who we are, we have to be able to let each person be who he or she is and appreciate that and give a wide berth to that because we are all very different in many ways and there's great beauty in our differences i mentioned before oneness does not mean sameness they're all very very different right um kids in, in the same family are very very different we always say no one grows up in the same house because the second child doesn't have what the first child had and the fifth child doesn't have what the second child had so we can we can uh, understand that there are limitations and we are not uh, god uh, even though we are of god and we don't have powers beyond our powers we're not superman we're not batman in the community um or uh, spider-man these days i guess the kids would understand better um nice. but we can we can treat each human being as a human being with the with the face of god so here's one example when my kids were little, they're close to 50 now, so it was a long time ago. But when they were little, uh, we tried to uh, imitate the teachings of an ancient sage. It said of that sage, whenever he went to um, the market, if he bought a piece of meat, he would buy two. If he bought a bunch of vegetables, he would buy two. One for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. So when we were the kids were little, every time we went to the market, we'd buy one more item of perishable food, a non-perishable food, a box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, can of tuna fish, jar of peanut butter, and not even take it into the house. We'd leave it in a brown paper sack, a grocery sack in the car, 
And when we filled up two or three sacks, we take it to the local um, homeless shelter or food pantry. So one day we're in the store and I'm there with my youngest son who was five at the time. And I took a box of cereal off the shelf. And I said to him, honey, how's this for our food gift this week? That was my mistake. I should have asked him to pay, make the, made the choice, but okay. And he very wisely in his precocious youth said, no. And I said, why not? And he took the cereal out of my hands put it back on the shelf, stood on his little tiptoes and took a different box of cereal from the shelf and said, dad, this will be our food gift this week. And I said to him, honey, what's the difference? And he said, look, there are hungry kids out there too. And kids like sugar frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. <laughs> so yeah. In a second, that kid, my little baby. Yeah taught me not to see a category of people, the hungry, the poor, the needy, whom we are feeding with our gift, but the face of a kid who likes one cereal better than another. And I need to see the face of that one individual human being. Well, yeah, it's always in another, a sense that- uh... Tell you another story. I was in New York years and years and years ago I was walking on Madison Avenue. It was one of those cold, rainy, misty days, you know, and I was going from one meeting to another and I had my fancy uh, leather briefcase and my hat and my scarf and my gloves and the trench coat and the whole thing. And I see this woman sitting on the wet ground with her little baby. And it says, starving artist, please help my baby and me, the sign. So now when I'm in New York, I always keep dollar bills in my pants pocket and give out dollar bills. I don't, you know, I don't care. The, the, the argument against it is they'll, they'll just spend it on drugs or they'll, they'll spend it on liquor. I don't care. Whatever gets you through the night. So I have one of those raincoats, and probably you do too, that has a slit in the pocket where you can slip your hand through the raincoat into your pants pocket. Yes. And I did that. And I had no dollar bills left. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, now, what I'm going to explain to you is going to take 30 seconds to explain. But, you know, you do it in your mind in that split second. I say to myself, self, I say, if I'm going to give this lady money, I'm going to have to stop here, put down my beautiful leather briefcase on this rainy street, uh, uh, take off my gloves, hold on to my scarf and my hat in the blowing wind, open my uh, uh, trench coat jacket, unbutton that unbutton my suit coat and reach into my wallet and take out some money and give it to her and then re redo the whole uh, process backward. And in that split second, I walked by her. The face of that woman haunts me to this day. While I was in New York, I went back there morning and night for the two or three days that I was left before my reservation home, looking for her to give her money. And I couldn't find her. the face of that woman haunts me today, because I didn't see the face of God in that woman. And my own comfort and convenience made me pass by. Well, I won't do that for my own comfort and convenience ever again. You won't pass up. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, a whole chapter of your book, you devoted to awesome holiness. 
What do you, what is awesome holiness? Awesome holiness is the recognition of the presence of God everywhere in my life. God's here. God's there. God's uh, in front of me in back of me. All I have to do is continually be aware. And when I'm continually aware of God's presence in my life, if I know that um, if I turn right, there's God. And if I turn left, there's God. And every five seconds, I'm going to be aware of that. I can't cheat you in business in between. Mm. Because so do you think are... that, I was going to ask you, so do you think that the uh, story you just told me is what made you aware? That was uh, part of it. Part that was of part of it. Sure. Um, another story. Um, our house burned to the ground in a 1996 Southern California wildfire. We lost everything. We lost our home and everything in it from the most expensive thing to every last paperclip. And so um, a, a man came to me, one of the sweetest, gentlest, kindest men I know. And he said to me, Rabbi, I feel so uh, bad for you. I feel so terrible for you. I want you to know what's mine is yours. Ask me for anything. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. But what was I going to ask him for? Uh, take me to dinner, buy me a suit, uh, build me a house. As a result, I asked for nothing because I was embarrassed. In the end, he was very generous, but on his own. Now, what happens when we find out, for example, that somebody died? And we go to the mourner and we say, oh, I feel so bad for you. I feel so terrible for you. Anything I can do for you, you just let me know. Call me anytime, day or night. I'm here for you. And what happens? No one ever does. Because they're embarrassed to ask. And so I say... F-A-N-A-M-I. Find a need and meet it. Say to the mourner, I understand your Uncle Charlie is coming in for the funeral. Give me his uh, plane reservation times. I'll go down to the airport and pick him up. Or is your best suit still at the cleaners? I'll go pick it up for you. Or don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them out for pizza and a movie. That's seeing the needs of others and meeting the needs of others and seeing holiness, holiness in every moment. Mm. Wonderful. Um, you, uh, you write in a major purpose, uh, you write that the major purpose, um, a major goal of human life is for each person to see the face of God in every other person. Um, and actually you already told us about that, that you just went through all that to explain. So. You answered my question even before I asked it, so thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so we sent you the questions, so we know what the questions are going to be. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, so you know the the thing about it is that it's uh, the book. Uh, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, I, I it began uh, Thanksgiving of 2016. It's a while ago now. I had always wanted to go to the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. Amazing Thanksgiving Day Parade. And so one year I said to my wife, hey, let's go. And the weather's going to be fairly decent. Let's go. So we went and we found a kosher deli that was serving special Thanksgiving Day meals. And we went into that deli and we ordered. And then our, our waiter, Mohammed, whose name was on his uh, name tag, came up to us and pulled up a chair and started talking. And he was, I mean, he knew we, was Jew we were Jewish, obviously. I was wearing a uh, Kipa Yamaka, and we were mm -hmm. at a kosher restaurant for Thanksgiving. So 
he started talking to us about the presidential election that had just taken place when Trump was elected. And he was so afraid for his family because remember at that time, Trump was talking about a Muslim ban and, and, and he and, and Mohammed said to us, how can this be? I've come to this country. I work so hard. My my wife works. My my father still works. My brothers work. We're just trying to build a, a nice life for ourselves and our children. How can they not want us when they know nothing about us? And somehow, authors may tell you this sometime. Artists may tell you this sometime. Uh, I just started getting a download. I started hearing in that vision from God, yes. that message from God. And there was this little uh, three by five card or six by four by six card that had the Thanksgiving Day menu on it. And I pulled out a pen and I just started writing. And uh, my wife and Mohammed saw that I needed more cards. So they brought me more menu cards to write on. And that was the genesis of the book. Mm. But it took a long time to write because a lot of a lot was going on in the society. And then I got this wonderful publisher, Monkfish Publishing in uh, upstate New York. Mm. And uh, in the midst of COVID, the publishing date got pushed back further and further. And I knew that I had to write about COVID because this is an aspirational book. The aspiration was I should talk about oneness, that I should talk about how the differences in our society and with each other um, are just surface differences and how we need to uh, strive for the highest good, the common good, the, the, the very best for all of us. And in the midst of all of this, we were hit with reality. It was no longer an aspirational question. It was now a real life question. The differences between, I want businesses open because it's the only way I can feed my family for my pizza parlor or my nail salon, um, or businesses must be open because I, in my individual freedom, must be allowed to go dancing at a bar. No. or the kids must go back to school because that's their education and their social development, or I got to get the kids out of the house because I can't do any work uh, on my own, and I don't want to become a, a school teacher by Zoom because I know nothing about it. Mm. Or I'm going to get the vaccine because it's for the highest and greatest good of the entire uh, um society, or I have individual rights and freedoms, and you can't tell me what to do with my own body. Even though I know that I have the freedom to go through a red light, but I choose not to in order to protect the, higher, the highest good of the society. So all of a sudden, these issues that I was talking about in an aspirational way became real life questions, and how we answer them how we respond to them. You know, it, it, it may be trite, but it's true. It's not what happens to us. It's how we respond to it. And the question of how this society will survive and flourish or break apart is in our hands right now. You want to keep uh, uh, an 86-year-old woman from voting because she's in a line and you won't give, let her sit in a chair or bring her a bottle of water? Outrageous! And yet some people are voting that way to take away the vote from people who earned it. 
I'm the child of the 60s. I spent a great deal of my time on pro-civil rights work and anti-war work. And here, everything that we fought for in terms of civil rights and freedoms and the right to vote is being taken away, in my opinion, totally haphazardly and selfishly by people who somehow earned the right to, to vote, to take away the right to vote. Yeah. Radical Loving, One God, One World, One People, a book by Rabbi uh, Dosik. I, I said your name right. You did, um, where can they get your book? You know, because they, they really need to read it. It's important. Uh, they could get so much out of it. I know I did. Thank you. Uh, the book's on Amazon.com. It's on BarnesandNoble.com. It's on uh, Bookstore.com. And there is a website you can learn more. It's called RadicalLovingBook.com. And one of the things that we have there is we made up because chanting, you know, music goes deep into our unconscious so that it bubbles up into our consciousness when we need it, right? Right, yeah. And so we made um, uh, what we used to call a CD, I don't know what they call it these days, um, of about 20 chants that, um, that teach the lesson of this book. And for three or four or five of them, I don't recall, uh, you can listen to them, as we used to say on the old south side of Chicago, free for nothing. And then you can buy a download or a CD or something like that. And so one of the chants is, Seeing the face of God, seeing the face of God, seeing the face, the face of God, seeing the face of God, reflecting the light of God, reflecting the love of God, seeing the face of God in you, seeing the face of God. So if you don't remember cognitively or intellectually, if you learn that song, when you're standing in that bank line or the convenience store with the kid clerk, you'll remember, you'll remember it will bubble up in your consciousness. Right. I was just thinking about that. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate your time. Uh, so Rabbi Dosick, I appreciate you. And uh, we'd love to have you back for another conversation with another book. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much.